Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, November 28th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, holiday took a toll on your voice there, it sounds like. <laughs> another day, another cold. I, I, I don't know what happened. I went to bed last night. And I was at like 100%. And then I woke up this morning and I feel okay. My voice is just shot. All right. So you feel better than you sound, we should tell everybody. (laughs) I feel better than I sound. And I think I should be able to get through the podcast. All right. Sounds good. And we should give everyone a heads up after everyone has spent all this money on gifts with Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Today is Giving Tuesday. This has been around for a few years now. It's an opportunity to give to your uh, favorite charities out there, people doing good work, helping others. So on this Giving Tuesday, make sure to check out organizations that are near and dear to your heart, because this is the day to give back. Wait, have I ever given you my hot take on Giving Tuesday? You may have last Giving Tuesday, (laughs) but remind us, Jill. (laughs) Okay, so I feel very strongly that Giving Tuesday should actually be the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Yes. When everyone is feeling excited for the holiday, when they're in good spirits, when they still have money in their bank accounts. Why is Giving Tuesday after everyone's already spent upwards of $1,600? $20 billion. Exactly. uh, On gifts. $1,600 per person. Yeah. Jill, it was a good hot take last year. (laughs) It's a good hot take this year. Maybe they'll listen to you in 2024. In the meantime, though, if you have money left (laughs) from from the past week, and I know most people do. No one's finished all their holiday shopping. Only a few people out there have. Make sure to give back today. (laughs) And a number of organizations, by the way, have matching offers, have great offers today. So today is an important day for charities out there. All right, let's get to some news here. We're going to start in the Middle East, where the truce between Hamas and Israel has been extended for two more days. As Hamas releases more hostages, what we're learning about the conditions in which they've been kept. As part of the deal, Israel releasing dozens of prisoners, some being held on what's known as administrative detention. What is it and why is it so controversial? Elon Musk, what is he doing there? Touring a kibbutz in Israel at the center of the attack on October 7th. In business news, the biggest delivery company in the U.S., no longer UPS or FedEx. Any guesses? Jill, I'm staring at about six boxes in front of me right now. I think I have a good one. A new price analysis on just how much everything costs three years after the pandemic. Kids, they're just like us. They can't sleep. Turns out nearly one in five adolescents is now using melatonin to help them get some shut-eye. And Stephen Colbert's Late Show canceled as he recovers from a ruptured appendix. And Merriam-Webster's word of the year is... Folks, it's something you may have Googled this year. That's how they choose this. We'll have it for you at the end of the podcast. And Moshe is on this day in history. Jill, a little Ferdinand Magellan, a little Dirty Dancing soundtrack for you in On This Day in History. All right. The truce continues in the Middle East for at least two more days. Israel and Hamas agreed on Monday to extend their ceasefire through Wednesday. The temporary pause in fighting will continue as Hamas is getting set to reportedly exchange another 20 Israeli hostages for 60 Palestinian prisoners. The deal for two additional days of ceasefire announced by Qatar raised hopes for further extensions which also allows more aid into Gaza. And it comes after an initial four-day pause in the fighting. 
And an initial 50 Israeli women and children were exchanged for 150 Palestinian prisoners. Hamas had demanded three prisoners for every hostage released. 11 Israeli women and children freed by Hamas entered Israel Monday night in the fourth swap. Jill, that included a mom and her three-year-old twins. It came after Hamas initially on Monday was reneging on the agreement, not allowing the mothers to go with their children. Eventually, again, the Qataris, the Egyptians got involved, said, Hamas, you need to release the moms with the kids. That's in the deal. Eventually, they did. Also notably, in the release group on Monday, a 12-year-old boy named Eitan Yaholomi. You might remember his name from our podcast last week with the hostage families. I had a chance to speak with Effie Yahalomi, who was Eitan's aunt. So the 12-year-old boy was released yesterday. She had talked about him emotionally um, in our conversation in last week's podcast uh, featuring the hostages and survivors of October 7th. She described life as hell these past seven weeks. Notably, while Eitan was freed, her brother Ohad, Eitan's father, remains in captivity. One family that also remains in captivity, the entire family, the Bibas family, the mom, the dad, the four-year-old boy, and the 10-month-old son, we've been hearing from many of you who are taken aback that Hamas has not released this family, uh, including this, again, this 10-month-old boy. He was first taken as a hostage as a nine-month-old, is approaching 11 months old now. Reporting late Monday out of Israel says that Hamas may have turned that family over to another terror group inside of the Gaza Strip. There's a whole number of them. Several of them have hostages. We don't really know much about the agreements between these groups, but Hamas has basically been saying, we don't have access to them right now. The Israelis, though, do hold Hamas responsible for what happens in the Gaza Strip. And the Bibas children are among the last nine kids under 18 currently being held hostage. A total of 160 hostages remain, though, in the Gaza Strip. Again, nine more children under the age of 18, including the 10-month-old boy. Jill, so far, it does not appear Hamas is ready to release any of the men, young men, elderly men, I guess, have come up in conversation. But so far, Hamas isn't releasing any Israeli soldiers, male or female, or any of the men. And Moshe, we are getting a sense of the conditions that this latest group of hostages experienced while in Gaza. They say that they had to use plastic chairs as beds that their meals were basically just bread and rice and not enough of it. They said they would spend hours, if they had to use the bathroom, they would basically knock on a door and it, it would take sometimes a couple of hours for them to be able to use the bathroom. The hostages that have been freed so far under this ceasefire deal have largely stayed out of the public eye. Most are still in hospitals. Many, as we talked about yesterday, are finding out for the first time that They no longer have homes to go back to, that their homes were burned down in attacks, that they lost family and friends. Many of the freed hostages are also children. Some of their family members have started to share a bit of the details about their loved one's experiences. We learned at some point, uh, some of them say that they were actually visited by Yahya Sinwar, that is the head of Hamas in Gaza, and the mastermind behind the terror attacks that killed many of the friends and family and that took them into captivity. Although not much is known about the interaction during those meetings, some have reportedly said that he he said to them, you guys are safe here, don't worry, we'll take good care of you, which is ridiculous. I mean, it is the definition of ironic, given that he, again, was the mastermind of this horrific attack. Taking them to captivity. I may have killed some of your family members, but you're, you're safe here because I'm going to trade you. Um, at some point. Jill, it's not fully confirmed yet, but that's what the Israeli officials have heard from a couple of the um, former captives. 
They also said, interestingly, that he was speaking perfect Hebrew without an accent, which he learned from his time spent in Israeli prison and reportedly um, is obsessed with watching Israeli news reports. Yeah, Sinwar spent almost 20 years in prison. He actually was part of that 2011 hostage exchange. Uh, he had been uh, taken into custody for a variety of charges related to his involvement with Hamas back in the 90s. And then in 2011, when Israel did its infamous hostage exchange for one soldier, they released more than a thousand Palestinian terrorists, uh, members of Hamas, etc. In exchange for that soldier, Sinwar was part of that group and then would rise up to take power in Gaza. Mirav Raviv, whose three relatives were released by Hamas on Friday, reiterating that they had been fed quite irregularly and said that her cousin and aunt lost 15 pounds in just 50 days. None of them said that they knew that they were going to be released until the very last moment. Some had feared the worst, but most so far have come back in okay physical condition. However, one hostage released Sunday, 84-year-old Alma Abraham was rushed to the hospital with life-threatening conditions. She went without thyroid and heart medicine for 50 days. She came back with blood pressure of 40 BPM and her body temperature 84 degrees. So she might not have made it even another day or two if she hadn't been released, but she's still, at least as of this recording, in in very serious critical condition. So far, 19 people of other nationalities have also been freed during this truce, mostly Thai nationals. Yeah, and it came as another 33 Palestinian prisoners were freed on Monday night. Now 150 total have been freed. Um, Another 60 set to be freed in the coming two-day truce extension, uh, greeting them as they came home on Monday night, Palestinian flags, Hamas flags, Islamic Jihad flags, as dozens of Palestinians gathered outside of the prison in Ramallah, where these prisoners were being held and where they're being released from. At one point, the Israeli army fired tear gas into the crowd. The Israeli military had been warning folks not to celebrate uh, the homecoming of these prisoners, but people defying those orders and taking to the streets. Essentially parades, Jill, in many of these towns across the West Bank as people are released. So far, among the uh, prisoners who've been released, a number of them were women held for various crimes, including several locked up for attempted murder and stabbings. The group also includes primarily teenagers uh, accused of a variety of activities, including uh, throwing firebombs and rocks during confrontations with Israeli forces, as well as affiliation with various terrorist groups. Now, while a number of these folks uh, were put on trial and convicted, a number of them have been under what's called administrative detention in Israel for months, a couple of them for a couple of years. Effectively, it's a status that the Israelis have that allows them to hold Palestinians without trial. More than a thousand Palestinians right now are under administrative detention. In some cases, they don't know the exact details of their crime. They don't know when a trial may happen. Since they're not Israeli citizens, the uh, Israeli government doesn't give them civil trials. They give them military trials where they have a 99% conviction rate. It's something that Israel has been criticized for by some international human rights groups. Though we should note this idea of administrative detention, you know, there are elements of it uh, that we've seen in the U.S. out of the Patriot Act, uh, including the terror suspects that were held in Guantanamo Bay, now going on 20 years. And here in the U.S., we use a form of it uh, when it comes to migrants who come here illegally ahead of deportation. They're held in a similar administrative detention status. Uh, That said, a lot of Palestinians have been very upset by this and have been pushing back on how Israel detains folks. Now, Israel says that it helps authorities thwart attacks. This is an ongoing war on terrorism that they have in the West Bank. And doing this, having administrative detention, 
allows them to hold what they believe are dangerous militants without being forced to divulge incriminating material for security reasons. Basically, these people have a lot of details and they don't want them shared in a courtroom. Regardless of all of that, these prisoners, as I said, have returned home as heroes in recent days. Uh, even those implicated in attacks on Israelis, people view them as fighting against the occupation. Staying in the region, the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, was in Israel on Monday. And that's where he toured a town where one of the Hamas massacres took place. He was joined by Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu as they inspected the blackened ruins of Kibbutz Kfar Aza. Netanyahu said he gave Musk the tour to, quote, show him up close the crimes against humanity committed by Hamas. Musk called the visit to Kfar Aza jarring and said he also had been shown the footage of the October 7th massacre that he found very troubling. Netanyahu and Musk had a conversation on Where Else X on Monday discussing the war, discussing the tour. Netanyahu spent the bulk of the conversation explaining the rationale for the war in Gaza. Musk was in agreement, saying it was important to get rid of the ones who are hell-bent on murdering Jewish people, though Musk also said that it was important to minimize civilian casualties in the Gaza Strip. Notably, Jill, there was also an agreement with Israel that Israel has authority over all use of Starlink. Uh, This is Musk's a satellite service, and that includes in the Gaza Strip, that all of that must go through Israel in the region. Jill, coincidentally, or maybe it's not a coincidence, it does come at a perilous time for Musk and the Jews. Dozens of major brands have suspended their advertising on X in the last month after Musk uh, posted on X in agreement with somebody who was saying that it was Jewish communities pushing hatred against white people. So Musk posted that. A whole number of advertisers then pulled out of X. The White House denounced Musk for a uh, promotion of anti-Semitic and racist hate. And uh, then a couple of weeks later, Musk is in Israel meeting the Israeli prime minister. So a lot of people took note of the timing here. All right, switching gears as we talk about holiday shopping and the cost of everything. There is a new analysis from Bloomberg News that we wanted to highlight on how much the prices of everything have gone up. After years of inflation, U.S. consumers are shouldering a burden unlike anything seen in decades, even as the pace of price increases has slowed. So it now requires $119.27 to buy the same goods and services that a family could afford with $100 before the pandemic. So about a 20% increase over three years. Since early 2020, prices have risen about as much as they had in the full 10 years preceding the health emergency. It is hard to find an area of a household budget that's been spared Groceries are up 25% since January of 2020. Same thing with electricity. Used car prices have climbed 35%. Car insurance up 33% and rents up roughly 20%. Those figures help explain why Americans continue to register strong dissatisfaction with the economy. That's because consumers' daily routines have largely returned to their pre-pandemic normal, but the cost of living has not at the same time Housing affordability is at its worst on record. Auto loan rates have soared and borrowing with a credit card has never been so expensive. Many Americans have seen their pay rise pretty quickly since 2020, but much of those gains have just been gobbled up by inflation. Some of the fastest wage increases in decades have left the average American largely no better off than before. Moshe, I'm now remembering that I think you tagged me in a video about somebody. Grocery prices. Yes, because this is my biggest gripe. I forgot to respond to that. It was actually from one of our Mo News Premium members. I think Yanni sent to me being like, send this cartoon to Jill about grocery prices. 
based on what she says typically on the podcast. So thanks for sending that in. Speaking of grocery prices, in the four years leading up to the pandemic, prices increased less than 1% between 2016 and 2020. That obviously changed a lot in the past three years. And it's really an interesting comparison. That's why this you know, last couple of years has been such a shock because it's been an overdrive, right? Inflation and overdrive. In an October 2020 Census Bureau survey, it showed that a four-person household on average spent 238 bucks a week for food at home. Three years later, that's jumped to $315, about a 33% jump in just about three years. Now, grocery inflation is anticipated to return to less than 2% next year, but that doesn't offer much relief after the increases that we've seen. Many of them are probably going to stay. Then you have housing, the most expensive thing for consumers, mortgage rates at a 23-year high, home values have jumped 42%, which is good if you already own a home, but not so good if you don't own a home. Electric bills are up 25% over the last three years. Natural gas is up 29% uh, over that same time period. Jill, you mentioned car insurance. Right now, the average monthly payment is uh, upwards of $750 a month. According to one survey, nearly one in five Americans financing a new vehicle are now paying more than $1,000 or more a month. And while we talked about grocery prices, eating out ain't much better right now. Restaurant prices are up 24% in just over three years. And that doesn't include when you uh, go to one of the quick service places and they turn the iPad around and they throw you uh, the tip screen, Jill. Don't get me started, Moshe. <laughs> All right, we have a lot more to get to in today's Speed Read, but we want to thank our sponsor this week, Factor Meals. Many of us are pressed for time in our house, but you still want to eat healthy, eat nutritious. So we've been loving so far Factor they are America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. They can help you fuel up all three meals of the day with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. They're not frozen. They're refrigerated. They come ready-made. Um, Jill, I've been grabbing a couple recently to take to work, uh, just a couple minutes of uh, zapping them, and they are legit delicious, much better than those frozen meals I tried years ago from the grocery store. And so you get the equivalent of a home-cooked meal, but without the chopping, the prepping, the cleaning up, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just about two minutes. You can choose from about 35 weekly meals. They also do special occasion meals for the holidays as well. They also have the lunch to go. They have gourmet plus meals with things like truffle butter and asparagus. Um, hello. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> they also have the lunch to go, the grain bowls, salad toppers where microwave is not required. They also have cold pressed juices, shakes, smoothies. Anyhow, if that sounds exciting to any of you, head over to factormeals.com slash monews50 and use the code monews50 to get 50% off. That's a special deal right now for this community. Again, factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R, meals.com slash monews50. With that code monews50, you get 50% off. All right, time now for the speed read from CNN. Three Palestinian college students that were shot in Vermont remain in the ICU as the suspect in the case pleads not guilty. Investigators are looking for clues to find the motive behind the Saturday night shooting of those three Palestinian college students in Burlington. Jason Eaton was arrested Sunday and yesterday he pleaded not guilty at his arraignment to three counts of attempted second degree murder. He is being held without bail. The 48-year-old is accused of shooting the three 20-year-old students. They were in Burlington to visit one of the victim's grandmothers for Thanksgiving. They were on a walk before dinner when they were shot at a close range on Saturday. 
The three shooting victims all go to college here in the United States. They have been friends since first grade, where they met at a private school in the West Bank in the Middle East. Law enforcement officials said some of the victims have been interviewed by detectives. An attorney for the victim's family said that he does believe that the students were targeted in part because two of them were wearing kafiyas, the traditional Palestinian scarves. Uh, They were also speaking Arabic. So Eden apparently has been named in 37 police reports over the last 15 years, never as a suspect, but uh, in cases ranging from domestic violence to larceny, he was listed as either a complainant or a victim in 21 of those reports. So clearly had some interaction with the law here, Jill. He was fired from his job, reportedly, according to NBC News in the past month. We are learning more about him from his social media account. Uh, NBC News reviewed his social media accounts. They found that on YouTube, he had playlists, including videos with titles like Expose Fauci and uh, Using Brain Crystals for Psychic Powers. He also apparently had gotten really into government surveillance. And so that gives you a sense of where he was politically, though we are still waiting word from the feds and from local officials on what specifically led him to target these three individuals. They are investigating it as a hate crime. It does come as there have been increased threats against Jews, as well as Muslims and the Arab community over the past two months since the Israel-Hamas war began. Attorney General Merrick Garland saying there is understandable fear in communities across the country. And sadly, this is not the first act of violence stateside since the war last month. An Illinois landlord was charged with a hate crime after he fatally stabbed a six-year-old Palestinian boy outside Chicago and wounded his mother. And then we also told you about the incident a couple of weeks ago in Southern California where a 69-year-old Jewish protester was killed during a demonstration. A Southern California college professor uh, who was there on the pro-Palestinian side has been charged with involuntary manslaughter in the death of that Jewish protester. Okay, some business news from the Wall Street Journal. Amazon.com has grabbed the crown of the biggest delivery business in the U.S., surpassing both UPS and FedEx when it comes to parcel volumes. The company delivered more packages to U.S. homes in 2022 than UPS after eclipsing FedEx back in 2020, and it is on track to widen the gap this year. The U.S. Postal Service is still the biggest parcel service by volume handling hundreds of millions of packages for all three of the companies. Though we should probably get Amazon involved, Jill, given the billions of dollars the Postal Service loses. Amazon seems to be able to deliver it and also make a pretty profit. So a decade ago, Amazon was a major customer for UPS and FedEx. And some executives from those companies and analysts basically mocked the idea that Amazon would one day supplant them. Amazon's outsized growth combined with strategy shifts at FedEx and UPS really changed the balance here. So Amazon, we know, is the king of fast delivery. It pioneered the two-day shipping model that customers have come to expect, now even faster than that. But to stay ahead of Target and Walmart, it is also overhauling its distribution network. As Amazon's share of deliveries has increased, FedEx and UPS have said in recent years that they weren't in a race for volume and were instead focused on delivering more profitable parcels. Sure. Jill, fascinating here. FedEx actually parted ways with Amazon back in 2019. Amazon, though, still accounts for about 11% of UPS's revenue. Though this all does come as Amazon has gotten scrutiny, including a major lawsuit from the Federal Trade Commission, about how it competes with companies and overtakes things in a monopoly-like manner. 
But it appears here that, you know, Amazon has really figured out how to do logistics in a way that nobody else has. It was actually the subject of a conversation I had earlier this year on the podcast with the author of Amazon versus Walmart. We talked about how Amazon has really pioneered logistics and created this expectation among consumers that you should be able to get anything to your doorstep, sometimes within 24 hours when it comes to Amazon Prime. And so they've regionalized their logistics network and uh, really reduced how far packages have to travel across the U.S. And then, of course, COVID came along, which really let anyone who hadn't already gotten their stuff delivered to their door um, to want that. So really a remarkable moment here uh, for those of you who are keeping score in logistics history, Jill, as Amazon uh, takes the crown there. But I was serious with my point earlier. Somebody has to figure out the U.S. Postal Service, which cost the government you know, a ton of money, has been around since the beginning of the Republic in the 1700s. You know who the first postmaster general was? Benjamin Franklin. Interesting. If he looked at it today, he might say, give it over to Bezos and (laughs) and that crew over at Amazon. Might be time to fix the Postal Service. All right. From the Washington Post, nearly one in five adolescents now use melatonin to help sleep. According to researchers, regular use of melatonin to help kids sleep has become, quote, exceedingly common, with 19% using it. This data coming from the research published in the journal JAMA Pediatrics. Also younger kids too, about 6% of preschoolers aged one to four and 18% of elementary school kids, five to nine are being given melatonin by their parents as a sleep aid. It is most often given to kids as gummies or chewable tablets. The findings came from parents of about 1,000 children ages one to 14. The researchers found that kids' use of melatonin Usually was not a one-time thing, but regular with preschoolers having taken the supplement for 12 months, elementary school children for 18 and adolescents for 21. Little research has been done on the long-term safety of melatonin use by kids. In its natural form, melatonin is a hormone produced in the brain that regulates a person's sleep-wake cycles. So those who still have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep sometimes turn to a melatonin supplement which can be purchased over the counter without a prescription. Jill, I've tried it a couple of times on like uh, red eye flights from the West Coast. Didn't do much for me, but, you know, to each their own. I need the hard stuff. that said as you noted uh melatonin is considered a dietary supplement so it's not as tightly regulated by the fda now the researchers in this study warn that the actual amount of melatonin in a supplement has varied greatly and so you really need to read the fine print read the labels here in a recent examination of 25 available melatonin supplements the actual melatonin quantity ranged from 74 percent to 347% of the labeled content. So even when you read the label, it appears to vary depending. So that's something people need to keep in mind. Um, There have been some ER visits by some small kids where they got too much melatonin. The American Academy of Pediatrics notes that while melatonin does play a role in sleep, it's not a sleeping pill as we've established here. It is important for kids to establish healthy sleep habits that do not include medication and should only be used after talking to your pediatrician. And as you noted, Jill, no long-term studies here, though I did hear from some news committee members who were like, I don't want to read this story because we had posted on the Instagram account. You know, I get my kids to sleep with with this stuff uh, and it works really well. But we put this out here because it was an interesting study and clearly relevant to a number of members of this community. From CBS News, Stephen Colbert has canceled a week of shows while he recovers from surgery for a ruptured appendix. In a social media post, he said, quote, 
I am sure you're thinking turkey overdose, Steve, gravy boat capsize. Actually, I am recovering from surgery for a ruptured appendix. A ruptured appendix, also known as a burst appendix, spreads infection throughout the abdomen and can be life-threatening. It requires immediate surgery to remove the appendix and clean the abdominal cavity. Jill, do you still have your appendix? I do. I do not. Oh, so you had- thankfully, mine didn't rupture. I had major pain, uh, and that's something people should note. If you're having major stomach pain in your lower right quadrant, uh, and you're kind of touching it, and then you let go, and you feel more pain, that's your appendix. And so some people tend to ignore it, being like, oh, I got a bellyache, whatever. And of course, the possibility there is it rupturing, which becomes a much more serious issue. Weirdly, the night that I gave birth to my son- my mom actually had to get her appendix removed. It didn't rupture, but she was also having so much pain and she was babysitting for my daughter and she was in pain, but I think also had a lot of adrenaline because the baby, we were in the hospital delivering the baby. Right, so she probably tried to ignore it. And finally, my dad was like, you need to go get this checked out. And they basically, she went to an urgent care and right away they're like, "Uh, go to the emergency room (laughs) immediately. Anyway, it was just one of those weird timing type of things because of course- We were both uh, in the hospital at the same time. You were delivering a baby and she was delivering an appendix to the docs there. But a a really serious thing, Jake Tapper, the CNN anchor, uh, has been documenting the journey of his daughter recently who had an undiagnosed appendicitis and ruptured appendix uh, and was almost life-threatening at one point. So it's a very serious thing. It can happen at any age and clearly happened to Colbert here. But thankfully, it looks like he's doing pretty well, though it has been a rough couple months for him. Uh, Of course, there was the strike and then he had COVID last month, which led him to have to cancel a week's worth of shows. He does thank his family and doctors, Jill. He writes, going forward, all emails to my appendix will now be handled by my pancreas. Uh (laughs) Okay, and from NPR, the Merriam-Webster's word of the year, definitely not picked by AI. The winner is authentic. It was among the most looked up words in the dictionary's 500,000 entries. The 2023 Merriam-Webster Word of the Year signals that it was on many of our minds these past 12 months, and it was the year that ChatGPT shook academia and AI drove Hollywood actors and writers to the picket lines. The rise of artificial intelligence and deep fakes has really led to a blurred line between what's real and what's fake. This is according to the dictionary. The editor at large over at Merriam-Webster saying, quote, we see in 2023 a kind of crisis of authenticity. What we realize is that when we question authenticity, we value it even more. Profound words from Marion Webster there <laughs> with her word of the year. I'm going to get that framed. Well, it's one of the things we pride ourselves here in Mo News is our authenticity. Um, so authentic word of the year 2023. One of the runner-ups, by the way, was deep fake. Um, as people look that up, other top words uh, for the year include the internet slang Riz, short for charisma. The Gen Zers are using that these days. Uh, also, one of the top words of the year uh, that was searched on Merriam-Webster, indict, which saw a surge in interest after former President Trump was indicted in four separate legal cases. <laughs> I'm not over Riz. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard that? Jill, we have a couple Gen Zers in the office. If uh, you come to Brooklyn, you'll hear the word Riz. Touche. So authentic, the word of the year 2023, uh, for those of you who might remember, last year's word of the year, gaslighting which saw a major increase last year. This year is the 20th anniversary of Merriam-Webster choosing a top word. 
if they listen to this podcast, I feel like the word should have been unprecedented. Every year. <laughs> Every year since <laughs> since the founding of this nation, or at least the past couple decades. Unprecedented. Jill, we could actually do a search of our Google Docs, of our scripts, to see the most popular word on this podcast. It might surprise us, actually. Though we also ad-lib, you know, most of the show, so <laughs> God knows. We need to run AI on all of our episodes and see if we can come up with it. All right, now time for On This Day in History. We begin in 1520 on this day. Portuguese navigator Ferdinand Magellan, you might know that name, he reached the Pacific Ocean, or the ocean that he would name the Pacific on this day in history. 15 months earlier, he had set sail from Spain in an effort to find a Western route to the Spice Islands, as they called it at the time in Indonesia. You know, most people had gone around the tip of Africa. Everyone was trying to find that westward route across the Atlantic. Magellan's like, I'm going to go south deep south to find it. He would eventually go down to the southern tip of South America, separating that area of Tierra del Fuego. And that was a a very difficult journey. Eventually, after a number of weeks, they make it to the Pacific. And the water was so calm in the Pacific, they decided to name it after the Latin word pacifist, meaning tranquil, uh, which gives you the name Pacific, tranquil. Uh, Now, the Pacific Ocean, not tranquil for everybody, but it was for Magellan. He would eventually make it to the Philippines, But after meeting natives there uh, and trying to convert them to Christianity, he was eventually killed by a poisoned arrow. Uh, And that would be the end of our friend Ferdinand Magellan. A poisoned arrow? Yes. That's what took out Magellan. He never made it all the way. He was planning to go all the way around the world, and he made it to the Philippines. All right, now to the 20th century. On this day in history, in 1943, 80 years ago today, FDR, Churchill, and Stalin all met at the Tehran conference, this came as they were trying to take out the Nazi threat. The Nazis were really at the peak of their power at this point in the World War II. They would begin to talk about what would become D-Day, the invasion of France, just about six months later. And now for a bit of music history. Many of you might be familiar with this classic. On this day in history... 36 years ago, I've Had the Time of My Life by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes reached number one on the Billboard charts. Jill, this song inspires many people to want to have their partner run up uh, to (laughs) them and lift them up on the dance floor. And I imagine it has led to a number of incidents and potentially broken bones on the dance floor through the years. Much easier to just carry a watermelon if you want to recreate a scene. (laughs) Let's see from Dirty Dancing. On this day in 1989, Queen Latifah released her debut album, All Hail the Queen. Its success helped redefine, at that time, the traditionally male genre of rap. Queen Latifah, the Queen, still going strong. Another song classic, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, reached number one on the Billboard charts 31 years ago today. And I will of course, the song originally given to us by Dolly Parton and then remade here by Whitney Houston. Jill, I remember when I was watching American Idol in the early days, this was always the song they warned people against singing because they're like, <laughs> right. you, you can't, no matter how great a voice you might have, you are no Whitney Houston. No one's Whitney Houston. So they're just like, don't bother with a song that like Whitney Houston sang because you'll never sound as good as her. Very good advice, which is why you and I sometimes attempt to sing and neither of us <laughs> dared go for it here 
Um, no. Plus, my voice sounds like this. So we're not touching the song. We value our listeners way too much. It, yes. And with that, uh, we do want to thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. See you tomorrow, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News podcast.